0: Uh, Today's scripture is going to be found in Genesis chapter 11, and we're also going to bleed into chapter 12. If you're not quite sure where that is, just start at the front cover and start flipping pages. You'll be there probably before I am. So Genesis 11 uh, and 12. It's great to be together this morning. So let me start by saying I love you. Someone said to me one time, when you start a message like that, does that mean look out what's coming? I said, you finally figured it out. (laughs) I'll still love you at the end of it. I want to talk to you today about a subject that's dear to my heart. Some of you that know me well know that it is probably the driving passion of my ministry. A message entitled, Settling for Less. Abram's father, Terah, T-E-R-A-H, started out from Ur, that's, you've probably not been there, but that's present-day Iraq, heading for Canaan, the area, the region, the land of Canaan, which was a mere thousand miles away. But he settled in Haran, H-A-R-A-N, which is present-day Turkey. That was about 600 of those 1,000 miles. Have you settled for less than that to which God has called you? Settling for less. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you that when we look with open hearts into your word and ask you to bless And to inspire and to energize that word so that it comes into our hearts with challenge and with conviction and with truth abounding. Lord, we need to be ready to accept it. So we ask that our hearts, our minds, our spirits would be clear of any distraction and your word will be preeminent now in these moments together. And the word of God will just come alive. Lives will be actually changed and transformed and decisions will be made that will last for eternity. And we'll thank you for it, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to turn quickly to uh, Genesis chapter 11. going to have some of the scripture on the screen for you. Uh, And I've chosen to take the scripture today from the New King James Version. I know we move around a little bit from one version to another. Usually we're around or in the NIV, sometimes referencing the message, etc. But today I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. So if you have your Bible, your app, your whatever you're using, uh, it's going to be very close to what you have. If you'd feel free to um, uh, to read along with me, I'd really appreciate that. If not, you can just follow. I'm going down to verse 31. So I'm going almost to the end of chapter 11, if you will. Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 31. Make sure we're on the same page, and we are. And go and tear it. Remember, now is. Abram's Abram's father. Let's get that in our minds. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot. Are are you reading with me or did you decide not to? It's okay, fine. Yeah. Lot, by the way, was the son of Haran. There's a man and a place by the same name, so I don't want you to get confused here, okay? And so Haran was another one of, uh, of uh, Terah's sons. And his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Uh, just to give you a tip on... Uh, how old these people got to be, and and, and how old uh, Terah was, and so on. He headed for Canaan five years before he died. Which would make him... Okay, so you're 29, you're 35, you're 46, you're... 60, you're even in your 70s, approaching 80, you're above that in the glory years, and you get tired. He headed out on a 1,000-mile-by-foot journey at the age of 200. They made him good then, didn't they? What? And so at 205, Tara dies. Now, if you just keep your Bible open and go right into chapter 12, we're going to pick up there at verse 1. Read a few verses of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, and, 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 and the Lord spoke to Abram. It isn't clear. I've read a lot of different commentaries on this. It isn't really clear whether he spoke to Abram before uh, Terah died or after. It doesn't really matter. He spoke to Abram. That's the important thing. Here's what he said to him. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, <laughs> I wonder what he'd say today, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then let's keep going, uh, verse 4, verse 5, right up to verse whatever. So Abram departed. Oh, okay. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed. Abram departed. Don't play with me. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. That's an important verse, too. And verse 5, as we've, or wherever we are, and Abram was 75 years old. Okay, whatever verse is on the screen, you want to read with me? (laughs) Then Abram took... By the way, if you have lunch plans, we just blew them. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. Hmm. Hmm. So we have two distinct things here to look at and they're in they're absolutely in contrast or juxtaposition they're just standing alone together and yet they're so far apart in thought. I'm thinking that some of the things that might have been going through Tara's mind I don't know that they were and I don't think they were ever verbalized. Because I don't know how close uh, a God believer to being a God believer, Terah was. He was into idol worship. Uh, he made his living making idols and selling them. And he, when he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, that was one of the most wicked cities there was, and it was all about idol worship. So I don't really know. But there, but but there was a time somewhere there in in his past. 205 years, where there was a thought of God, whoever God was, or whatever God was. And I think at one point or another, Tara must have said, I have not lost faith in God. I have not lost faith in the grandeur of God, but but what I've lost, I've lost sight of who God is and what God does and how God works. So my God is really G-O-D, small g, not G-O-D, capital G. I think he's thinking, I've adopted a puny idol, I've settled for less, in my comfort I've stopped something, and I'm not even sure what it is, nor am I certain I was that comfortable to begin with, but this much I know something changed. Uh, Just to put it into geographical perspective, we have a map, I just want to put that up for you. you see Ur of the Chaldees, if you look at the map straight on, down in the lower right corner there, and that's the Chaldean region. And then they were heading over to Canaan, but, I mean, they weren't going to go through the desert. That made sense. They weren't going to go straight across. Everybody see the map okay? Yeah. And, and so the, they would follow the river Euphrates up to Haran. Okay. That's six, about 600 miles, give or take. And then from there down to Canaan area. Okay. Uh, Shechem, Bethel, below Jerusalem is, is, is Canaan. Okay. Just to give you a a visual, get an idea of what this journey was supposed to be, and for some of them, what indeed it was. Terah intended to go to Canaan, but he settled in Haran. Now that's the most important thing this morning that you're going to hear, so you can look at the map one more time and think about this. He's in Ur, he's supposed to be heading to Canaan, He settled in Haran, and terah never moved from there. Upon his father's death, Abraham was spoken to by God, and 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 God told him, "Go to a land that I will show you." Keep this in mind. If you're here today and you know the you name the name of Christ and you know Him as your personal Savior, and uh, you you you're on the Christian journey, I want you to listen very carefully to the instructions that God gave uh, to Abram. You see, when a person begins the journey uh, uh, to follow Christ, the goal is always the promised land. Mm. But most of us settle in Haran. We fatigue from the journey, we grow old, we're disillusioned with the long, harsh journey, we set up more comforts for ourselves, we're not sure how far away this promised land is, we grow comfortable just somewhere along the way, we lose heart for the journey, we take our eyes off the prize, or we settle for less faith in the one who leads. We don't lose faith, but we settle for less. And after all, we left Ur, we got out of there, and we got as far as Heron. We, we, we just didn't make it to Canaan. Resolutions are made and broken. Diets are begun and ended. Home improvement projects lie around our houses half completed. Beginning with enthusiasm is not enough. Planning a journey, loading the van, the buzz of excitement is not fulfillment. One wise man said, I like it, when everything is said and done, there's a whole lot more said than done. The temptation of terror surrounds everything we do. However, critical mass is reached when the temptation of terror engulfs our spiritual obedience, our journey of faith from God. Remember, you and I are on a journey, a journey of faith that we receive from God and we're heading to the place he told us to go. The temptation of terror is that he could not refuse complacency. Hello, Christian. So many people I know have settled into complacency and are so complacent, they don't understand even what complacency is. They don't understand anymore the commission of God who says, get up and get out of here and go to a place I'm going to show you. We've all studied this this inspiring obedience of the son of Terah, the man Abram, We've admired his faith as he set out to find a city he couldn't see. He was believing for a son he couldn't hold. He was trusting for a miracle that could not be conceived. Yet the antithesis of Abram's pursuit of God's promise, which, by the way, spanned almost three decades without physical evidence, is seen in his father, Terah. They're just, they're just direct opposites. While Abram walked by faith and not by sight, Terah camped in fear and personal satisfaction. Stopped by neither prosperity nor persecution, neither blessing nor nor barrenness, neither temptation nor time. Abram pursued a promise until he became a different pursuer. So different that God changed his name to Abraham. He renamed him and he was renamed by God. And it meant justified by faith. Now let us take care to study and learn from the temptation that tantalized Terah and is all too, uh, two different son, Abram, apprehended by sovereignty, accepting the call, forsaking all, exemplified in, in, uh, in Hebrews 11, many of you know the, the great hall of fame, with faith that is not small. Let's learn what causes us to settle for less. The first thing that causes us to settle for less is fear. Fear can cause you to camp out in Haran. If you look at the very next verse, right where we stopped, 12.5, and go right over to 12.6. The Canaanites, one the Canaanites were in the land. One of the versions I read said the Canaanite was in the land. Woo. I don't know who this guy was, this big Canaanite dude, but he must have been one intimidator to deserve special mention. And in verse 6 of chapter 12, I want you to notice that. I want you to notice it, Christian. The Canaanites were in the land, or the Canaanite was in the land. The mentality, I'm sure, went something like this, just so we can put it down into today's vernacular and you and I can totally understand. I think it was something like this. This was the rationale. Well, at least I'm not back in idolatrous Ur of the Chaldees. Haran is not so bad besides God would have me and want me to use wisdom to avoid those awful Canaanites. You see, fear not only rationalizes, it paralyzes. It's all about perception. They thought this Canaanite or those Canaanites were such a force to be reckoned with, and we now don't even know the name or names of the Canaanite or what they were about, but realize the faith of Abram was the true force to be reckoned with. There was a force here to be reckoned with, all right but it was the faith of Abram. So fear can cause us to settle for less. Sorrow can cause you to camp out in Haran. One of those other sons of Terah, the man Haran, died. And here's this powerful, influential Terah, his father. He had this memorial for Terah, for Haran, in his mind all the time. And I think the mentality that was was preeminent there went something like this. Okay, God, I left out of Ur my home for you. And this is what I get? My son dies. Thank you. And this place so reminds me of the son that I lost back in Ur. I can't abandon the memory of my own son. And because of that, he couldn't move. He was paralyzed, not only with fear, but also with sorrow. I guess he didn't know that Solomon was going to come along later and write those great words in the 17th proverb and verse 22, where a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. There's nothing wrong with sorrow, there's nothing wrong with grief, there's nothing wrong with feeling sorry and bad and sad, but you know what, there comes a time where that season ends and you have to move on. Our our task, and I've dealt with these people and I'm still dealing with these people, still trying to get it all explained, still trying to figure it all out, just give your brain a rest. Our task is never to understand God. And if there's a person in here that fully understands God, step up here right now, I need you. Our task is not to understand God. It's not even to appreciate God. It's not even to explain God. Now stay with me. It is to obey God and to love God. And Job said, though he slay me yet I will trust him. Wow. Third thing that can cause us to settle for less. This is tough stuff, but we have to hear it. Satisfaction can cause you to camp in Haran. I don't know what drove Abram. I don't know. Maybe it was the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That drove him to a mentality of desperation. He was gonna pursue the promise no matter what, no matter where, no matter how, he was gonna pursue it. Contrast. Maybe it was the fullness of Terah's home that made him content with partial obedience. It seemed like he had everything. He had the home, he had the name, he had the children, he had the grandchildren. It just seemed like he had everything, full satisfaction, partial obedience. Realize, my friend, you can't be content being only called out from Ur. Your salvation is only half fulfilled when you're called out of the world. God has not only saved you from the world, but he has saved you to his glory. Abram was not content growing in a household that only birthed the minimum of salvation by separation from idols. He knew what was going on in the background. He had forsaken the world. He had given up the world. He had left that old world. And now he must pursue another world. God's plan will always be pursued beyond our years. and and with all due respect, and I do respect you highly, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or whatever decade you're in, you you need to learn this lesson as quickly as you can. God's plan will always be pursued, even beyond our years. Let me explain. Let me explain. Abram pursued a city he would never see. David... desired to build a temple, he was not permitted to to build. The Apostle Paul desired to journey to Spain and preach the gospel and spread the gospel everywhere. It was not to be. It depends what commentator you read. We don't know for sure. I'm very, very doubtful that he ever made it to Spain. If he did, I'm glad he did. But... All of his plans and all of his, they say, well, he had three missionary journeys. Well, if you read Paul's life, just his life, you'll see he really had four missionary journeys and he was probably planning a fifth one. So everything that God had planned for Paul didn't happen necessarily in Paul's time here on earth. That's why I say God's plan will always be pursued beyond our years. God will always give you a mandate that's greater than anything that you could completely fulfill. If it is something you can totally accomplish in your own lifetime, then it's your goal and it's your satisfaction and it'll leave you complacent in Heron because God's call will be to a new generation. And God's call, read the Bible, read history. It's always to another generation. It's always to the next generation. It's always to the ones coming up the line. Church, if there's anything we need to learn in in the early days of the 21st century, it's this lesson again, that God's call will always be to a new generation. And if we're not planning for it, we're already out of business. Here's what he says. Here's what God says. I'm not making this up. Here's what God says to Abram. Get out of your country. What does that mean? Okay, let's break it down into, again, our language. He's saying, Abram, leave the culture you know. Eh? Leave the language you speak. Leave the religion you've been in, if you've been in any, and leave all the traditions that you're familiar with. Get out of your country. If that weren't enough, here's what God said. Get out from your kindred. Wow. Leave every relationship that would entangle you or remind you of your life before I called you. Say, well, Bob, you lost me there. I'll sit here and you keep babbling, but you lost me there. And then God said, get out from your father's house. He's saying to Abram, forsake the wealth that's bequeathed you by your inherited complacency and forsake everything but cleave to this call of mine. Embrace only this word. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the message to you, and that's the message to me. And I think Abram's about thinking and going to say, well, where where, where is, uh," and God intervenes and says, to a land I will show you. Listen, God didn't even tell him where he was going. He didn't tell him what the land was like. He didn't even say this is a good land, it's a fruitful land, it's full of everything you need, or it might be barren. He didn't tell him. He didn't say this is a hot land or a cold land. It's up north, it's down south. The promise was veiled as a future promise of another revelation. Why, Abram? Because there's more coming. There's more coming. And you need to be ready for whatever the more is. You see, resolutions are made and broken. You know you look at this and you say it's a study in obedience versus a study of disobedience. It's a study of of just mindless wandering, getting nowhere, just meandering and it's 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 direct it, it, it's on the other hand, it's a direct answer to the call of God to do all these things, get out of the country, get out of, the, get out of your kinfolk, get away from your father's house and move on and go to a place that I'll show you and I haven't shown you yet because I don't want to give you the option. I don't want to confuse you with the facts. This will be the temptation of every follower of Jesus. For Terah and Abram, it was geographical first. You saw the map. And it was also very much spiritual. For some of you, it is or will be geographical. You are still arguing with God about where is it? And you think that that's the most important thing. It's not the where, it's the what that's important. God will call you to that ministry, if that's what it's going to be, or that mission field, or that new job, or whatever. So that's for some of you. But for all of you, it will be spiritual. And that's where I want to focus for a few minutes. It works something like this. You get under the sound or the influence of the gospel message, the good news, and a time comes where you ask Jesus into your heart. Not because you're really smart or really good. And you can't respond to God unless he first reveals himself to you. That's called, it's called the previous grace of God, but let's not use big words. Let's just call it what it is. What's the song say? Let's just call it. Let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it. Let's just call it what it is. Let's call it. You don't know that song? Okay, let's call it grace. Grace is God making himself known to you. You weren't looking for him. You weren't searching for him. You didn't know your life could drastically change. You didn't even know what you didn't know. I didn't know what I did know and I thought I knew. That's called grace. So God speaks to you, maybe, in the, maybe you were in a, st- a storm in your life, like you've never heard, and nobody's ever heard of a storm like this. Very possible. A lot of people go through some terrible things. Maybe it was simply sitting through a sermon. That can be pretty terrible at times, like this morning. <coughs> maybe it was through some contact with a friend, just a mutual contact, nothing really serious. And all of a sudden, you realized your condition, and you didn't like the condition that your condition was in. Hmm? And you realize here was your condition. And by the way, nobody ever got saved until they came to this point. They realized their condition was this: "Ho, oh, I am separated from God." Period. Whatever that meant to you at the time, you wanted to change that. And even now, if you try to explain it, whatever it means to you, you knew that you got to that point and you wanted that to change. So what did you do? You either followed somebody's instruction, if you will, or you were just moved by the Holy Spirit to open your heart to God and start talking to Him. We call it prayer. We have so many different formulas for prayer, it scares me sometimes. But we just talk to God. And you talked to God and you prayed and you received Jesus into your heart and you knew that this was your need now. This will satisfy that condition that you've just identified. And at this moment, the word of God says, you are born from above. See, born twice. Mm. Or the Bible says born again. It's October, right? Still, this is pumpkin month, right? Someone wrote, being a Christian is like being a pumpkin. (laughs) God picks you from the patch and brings you in. John 15, 16. Then he washes all the dirt off you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Then he opens you up and scoops out all the yucky stuff and he removes the seeds of doubt and hate and greed. Romans 6, 6. He hasn't done this for most of you, but then he carves you a new smiling face. <laughs> Just wait, it's coming. Be patient. Psalm 71:23. And then he puts his light inside you to shine for all the world to see Matthew 5:16. I said we'd keep it simple so I could understand it. Please don't tune me out. don't, don't, don't think. Oh. He's just talking to lost people, so I can just start thinking about lunch now. What are my options? No, I'm talking to every person here. Lost people, saved people, young people, old people. Because once you begin this journey of following Jesus, and once you identify yourself as a follower of Christ, which many of you in this room have, then you're called to pick up. And go to a land that God will show you. And if you're not careful, you'll grow weary in the desert of life. And you'll settle for less than God wants you to settle for. And you will settle in Haran. And you'll settle for less of God. The biggest fear of my life. God didn't call you to Haran. I don't even know that he called you to go that way. (laughs) But he calls you to Canaan. Oh, let's clarify something here. I'm not talking about heaven. I don't know why Christian writers and songwriters and so have so confused this thing. Making Canaan sound like it means heaven. Canaan is not heaven. Heaven is not Canaan. Let's settle it. When you receive Jesus by faith and you obey Jesus in believer's baptism, and that's what it is, the first step of obedience, and you identify with the body of Christ, God's church, your name is eternally inscribed in the book of life. Hmm? Every step you take through your desert on your way to Canaan gives evidence of your salvation. But Canaan, can I say that one more time? Is not heaven. You can settle in Haran and still go to heaven. Matter of fact, there are probably people in the room that will do just that. I hope not. Because God didn't tell you to settle in Haran. He told you to settle in Canaan, more specifically. He said, I want you to settle in a land... (coughs) Excuse me. I will show you. I want you to settle in a land... I will show you. Wow. Let's think about that. Now, here's the problem many of the Christ followers that I've run into along the way stop looking for Canaan. It's a heartbreaker. They got so tied up in their own things, in their own life, in their own running the show, that they forgot about Canaan a long time ago. Whew! I made it to Heron! woo You're just a little over halfway there, honey. You've touched about 600 of the 1,000 miles. And what I've found out from these people, and what I see in them, is they've contented themselves with what they know and what they've experienced, and that's all they ever talk about, and that's all they ever talk about, and that's all they ever talk about, and if I've heard it once, I've heard it 997,000 times, that's all they ever talk about is what they know and what they've experienced. Why don't you keep moving on and head to Canaan? So you can have a real experience and we can find out exactly what's going on rather than what you did in Heron and what you're doing in Heron and how nice it is and how much better it is than you thought it might be. See, those kind of people are looking for more of themselves. They're not looking for more of God. You know, perhaps if, if the troubled look on your face is telling me anything, you're not getting it. Perhaps ro- romance would be a good way to illustrate. You're all very romantic people, I know that. So the wife's going, and the husband's going. All very romantic people. And, and so, uh, do you know God created romance? Well, don't pout at me, take it up with him. Wow, some of you look like you just got run over by a truck backwards. Wow. Wow. God created romance. Men and women ruined it. But God still created it. So you think of this young couple. and They're all in love. Gooey, gooey, gushy. Ooh. And they spend endless hours in conversation, mere dribble. And they can never learn too much about each other. While away from one another, all they can bear to think of is how the, it'll only be another two and a half minutes and we'll be together again. <laughs> but it's not only that way for new lovers. Take a, uh, take a soldier, to for, for instance, and God bless our military. But they get away from home and they see how the love is rekindled. And, and, and they look for letters and phone calls and Skype and text and emails and smoke signals and whatever else you can send them. Uh, I'm I'm extending this illustration because I want to say something to you that might ring true. That's how God wants you to yearn for Him. See, that sort of love and yearning will carry you through the desert times to a land that he will show you. But most believers stop short. Most of us are like the church at Ephesus that's quoted in Revelation 2, Christ's letter to the churches, uh, verses 2 through 5. He said, I know your works and I know your labor and your patience and you can't bear those who are evil and you've tested those who are uh, say they're apostles and they're not and have found them to be liars and on and on. He talks about their patience and their good work and all the stuff you've done for the sake of others. Nevertheless, he said, I have something against you. Hmm. Listen, the church of Ephesus, mind you, Jesus says, and here it is, with all the good you've done, you've left your first love. You see, it's a lot like some of the things that happen in the church today. A lot of great work being done. A lot of it. But you see, the church at Ephesus was doing a lot of good work in their own power, and they grew cold in their love. Those are the words of Christ, the one they follow. And he has not neglected to acknowledge, and even shows gratitude for all that they've done and the great work that they have accomplished. But he's more concerned about their love. Can I say it again? He's more concerned about their love because it's not ours to explain and understand and excuse ourselves for God. It's our duty to love and obey God. I can't get it any simpler than that. He's concerned about their love. Why do you think that is? Well, it's sort of like let's use another analogy. Sort of like your car. Now, you can run that old heap on low on oil for a while. And I emphasize for a while. And some of those heaps only going to be a little while. Huh? But that thing's going to lock up eventually. You know, it's like an athlete who is very, very ill, has a serious illness in his or her body. They can ignore it for a while and still go out and do whatever they're doing, play the game or run the race for a while. For a while. Might even win some games. Might even win the odd race. For a while. But eventually that awful disease will catch up with the body and the body will fail if it's not treated. And that's how love is inside of you and inside of me. You can do good things for God's church. You can do good things through God's church. You can do great things in the name of God's church for a while. But unless your life is characterized by that curious and romantic and pursuing love of God, then your love too and mine and the church's love will grow cold. God calls you to a land. He will show you. But you and I settle in Haran. And when you do that, you settle for less. I want you to think about one of the Names God gives his church. He calls her the bride of Christ. That has to be the highest of names for the body of Christ. He doesn't call her his old lady. Very little bothers me more than people being disrespectful of the parents God has given them or the spouse God has given them with these crude titles. What comes to your mind when you envision a bride? Usually it's a beautiful young woman in a beautiful bridal gown. And the groom and the bride look longingly into one another's eyes, even in the fallen world. The image is almost always one of a clean slate, hope for the future. Hmm. And then look at how the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle John to write it. He wrote it in Revelation chapter 19. Starting at verse 5 and he said a voice came out of the throne saying praise our God all his servants and you that fear him both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. If you ever know where Handel got that. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Oh hallelujah can't wait for the marriage of the Lamb. Can you? Yeah, I love a good marriage supper. And his wife hath made herself ready. And he, and, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. That's, the, that's what the imagery of the white wedding dresses, etc., is all about. I'll teach you that someday if you're interested. And he says unto me, Write, Blessed are ye which are called unto the marriage supper of the land. And he said unto them, These are the true sayings of God. A wife, think of it, a bride. Ready, pure. Imagine if instead it right. And there she was. Then the host of heaven said, here comes the old lady and she's all ready for him. <laughs> mm. That would inspire you right down to your toes, wouldn't it? Mm. Let's get a hold of who we are. Let's get a hold of how highly we are thought of in God's economy as it, as it relates to being part of the Bride of Christ. You see, my friends, following Jesus involves walking through the desert at times. But you don't have to walk through the desert all the time. I, I meet people there in the desert. They were there 20 years ago and I talked to them last. I'm like, isn't there another route around this place? You're going to stay there that long? See, that's not the destination. The destination is a land that I will show you, God said. Have you stopped looking for it? Have you stunted or stalled your journey? You know, sometimes you're going to walk through some really dry places, but God will provide streams in the desert. At times you're going to walk over beautiful hillsides, but remember Canaan. Following Jesus is likened to a wedding feast, not a funeral procession. Church. It's not for you to say, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going through the no desert. I'll join Jesus at the party and I'll waltz with him on the top of the mountain, but I'm not going with him through that valley. I got better things to do than that, and I'll wait until he gets that all there, and then I'll join him. And after that, I'm not even sure that this Canaan place is worth the effort. You know, God has called you to a land He will show you. You've probably, or at least I hope, heard that it's a long, tough journey. You've counted the cost. You've meditated on these verses. And you, when I was reading this morning in Genesis, you were probably thinking of Luke 14, where it starts at verse 26 and says, If anyone comes to me, these are the words of Jesus, and does not hate his father and mother. Whoops! You say, well, I'm already there, so that's good, I passed that test. No, no, no. Hate in the terms of indifference, disregard, or willing to let go of wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. This man was going to Canaan. This man was heading to a place that God said, You're going where? To a place where I will send you and I will show you. But oh, 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 oh. He stopped in Haran. By the way, that's not the saddest part of the verse to me. I think it's miraculous that in less than five years he made it from Ur to Haran. The saddest part of that verse. And Terah was 205 years old. Here's the sad part. And he died. And he died in Haran. And you're sitting here today and say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I'm on. I'm on board. Have you noticed in the message today how different it is from simply saying, yep, yep, I'll go to church. Following Jesus is not about going to church. That's part of it, perhaps. Like driving your car is not about changing the oil, though that's an essential part of it, right? Following Jesus is an all-consuming lifestyle. It bleeds over into your relationships. It bleeds over into your schoolwork. It bleeds over into your your job. It bleeds over into your home. It should bleed over into your marriage. It should bleed over into your character in the community, whether people see it or don't see you. If it doesn't, then you're not following Jesus. So let me ask you, especially those of you that have followed Jesus for a number of years now, God's called you to follow him to a place you've never been before. He's told you to walk by faith in a very radical, otherworldly way. So have you settled in Heron? There's a word in English that started out. Matter of fact, it started out as an old golf term. And it's a term that when, used to be, not in vogue now, but it used to be when you're on the green... I played golf a little bit when I was much younger, and I don't know. I know where the green is, but I was never on it. But why is it people only respond when I make fun of myself? I'm teaching them the absolute depths of spiritual knowledge, and they sit there like wooden Indians. But I say something like that, and they're with me. So I never made it to the greens. Matter of fact, I'll tell you why I quit playing golf, because they quit mowing the grass where I hit the ball. Okay, now we got all that settled. Listen to my point. When you're on the green making a putt, and this was, a, this was an old term, and your opponent's ball obstructs the path your ball is taking to the hole. I don't play golf now, so I don't know if this is still the way it's played. But if I make it to the green, and if my opponent's ball is in the way, what would my first reaction want to be? Well, naturally, i just walk over and kick his ball in the wood somewhere. <laughs> but you can't do that, I guess, according to the rules either, from what I hear. I don't know. But if you can't get your ball in the hole because of an obstruction, And I guess now they mark it, right, with something so that you can just hit it and go right over that marker or whatever. But it used to be, there was a term for it, that if you couldn't get your ball in the hole because of an obstruction, it was said you have been stymied. stymied. Thank you. You've been stymied. Most followers of Christ have been stymied at one point of their journey or another because they let something or someone get in the way or some, some something get in the way of God's will. They started out well, but just like well, Terah started out well too. They started for Canaan, so did he. But some obstruction occurred. Something happened, made him settle for Heron. Of course, it's somebody else's fault. No, you ever notice in today's world, nobody's to blame for anything? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. No. And they stopped short of the goal. What were they? Stymied. Have you gotten tired of the wilderness? Have you gotten comfortable with where you are in life? I always get uncomfortable when I hear people tell me they're very comfortable in life. Have you settled in here on? When was the last time you spent hours with God just because you love him? When was the last time you poured your heart out? When was the last time you shared with him the brokenness that you have in your heart and your need for healing and inner strength? When was the last time you gave an offering to God rather than just like you're paying some kind of membership due? How long has it been since you heard God call you to do something? Probably it wasn't so prudent, thought of so prudent by by a fellow man, but how long since you walked by faith, doing something or living in some way for the sheer joy of following Jesus? The Bible has a lot of positive things to say about prudence, but if you're not careful, prudence becomes the mask behind which you conceal your lack of faith. If you're not careful, prudence will keep you in Haran, and God's calling you to Canaan, and I don't care who you are how long you've been in Haran or how long you plan to stay there, God's call isn't changed and hasn't changed. He's still calling you to Canaan. Abram was willing to pick up where Terah, his father, fell short. Against all odds, all dangers, all difficulties, press on to the land which God called him to go to. After reminding the reader of this, the writer of the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, admonishes his readers in the 12th chapter of the Hebrew letter, verse 1. And he spent all this time in chapter 11 describing the Hall of Faith and all the great names. Just someday open your Bible to Hebrews 11. No commentaries, no, no distractions, no noise, no nothing. Just read it. And if you don't step into something just almost, I'm going to use the word magical, although I don't like to use that word in the pulpit, but just, just something bigger than life. gets all the way through Hebrews 11. And here's what the writer says in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, and whenever you see therefore in Scripture, you always ask the question, what is it? Therefore. therefore. <laughs> it's there to connect you to the next thought. Therefore. Therefore, we also, believers, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. Let us keep going beyond Haran all the way to that land that God wants to show us. Is it that you've settled there in Haran and you're just too comfortable to even move out of there? God's still calling you to Canaan, by the way. What's weighing you down? Whose fault is it anyway that you're in Haran? What has stymied your determination to obey God? What do you need to get rid of in order to walk by faith again? Or have you settled in your heart that you're just going to stay in here you on? Don't, you don't think you, you need any more of God's direction. Your love grew cold long ago, and you're content in that lukewarmness. Well, here's my prayer for you right now, is that you won't settle for less. And if you have, that you'll change course. You won't settle for less than that to which God calls you. Too many Christ followers have fallen and are falling into that trap. And because of it, they never really get to know their master. They never really get to know their Lord in an intimate way. They never really get to know the person of Jesus. Why? Why? Because they settle so far from where he calls them to be. See, Haran is not Ur. That's 600 miles back down the road. We're not going there. But it's still some 400 miles. From where we need to be. So many people settle so far from where he calls them to be. So my point blank and direct question to you is, have you? If so, what can you do to change it and what are you going to do to change it? And my earnest prayer for you, and I want to have prayer with you in just a moment, and for each of us, is that you will not be found on your life's journey in a dry, parched place where you have settled for less. No more huh? settling for less. Can I have your attention in prayer? Let's just bow before the Lord and ask Him to inscribe these truths on our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. And if we come that way and we live by His truth and come to know Him, we're a sort of life, not just life in this present day, but life that is full of blessing and life that is full of eternity. And so, God, we're all in this journey. We understand where the journey starts. We know that you want to take us to a place and show us a land that we don't know. And, Lord, we're ready to make that journey. We're ready to step out. We're ready to move on from where we are. And if we've, be, we've become cold hearted, if we've become satisfied, if we've just sat, sat back and, and said, well, I'm saved and, and, and I'm satisfied and I'm, that's it. Then Lord, we've missed so, so, so much. And it's never too late to start back on that journey. So we pray today for those that need to make that journey and those that need to remake that journey that your Holy Spirit will do the guiding and that your word will pierce every heart under the sound of the voice. And we'll thank you for it. In his name we pray and all God's people said.